Well, let me return to uh, what I started talking about several weeks ago, and that was um, a call to action, how to clear the streets. A call to action, how to clear the streets. Uh, part one and two, uh, we examined uh, uh, the family as a foundation. It starts at home. And then I said that the uh, next component of this call to action would be uh, the fear of God. What do we do about the fear of God, putting the fear of God in our children? And then the next and the final segment will be one that I call fixes at the church, what we can do at church. So uh, if you can kind of hang on with me and indulge me and suffer me to uh, be a, a bit more um, what uh, apostolic and than uh, teaching, a bit, bit more preaching than teaching. I don't know. It sounds sometimes like I'm writing a sermon instead of a lesson. But I pray, God, that it'll help us to be personally and then as a church body, as a community of faith. Uh, it will help us to be equipped uh, to do something about what the devil's doing to us and our kids. So this is the fear of God, and it'll probably be part uh, one of two, the fear of God, part one. And I want to tag this uh, lesson, uh, getting God in their heads, getting God in their heads, getting God in their Heads, getting God on their minds, uh, you know, getting God in their heads. Proverbs 1 and 7. Proverbs 1 and 7. Uh, that first phrase sums it up. It says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's where I want to stop getting God in their heads. Uh, I just want to share with you a sample of the insanity that is ripping our communities. I don't mean to insult uh, your familiarity with what's going on because we all uh, listen to the news and we all stay on social media. But in the past 48 hours, on the inbound expressway at Cicero, there was a shooting that left one dead and one injured um, on Tuesday evening on the northwest side. A 15-year-old was killed by a gunfire on Tuesday evening. Again, a 16-year-old and a 12-year-old were wounded by gunfire outside the library in the Garfield Park community. And then on Tuesday in West Englewood, a 40-year-old man was killed in a drive-by. That's just a smidget, a sample of what this insanity is doing to our community. And that doesn't include the grandmother who was in her own home. Someone broke in the basement door, and to escape, she jumped from the second-floor window. And this grandmother 
also happened to be the mother of two Chicago police officers. Now, hear me good. This is just a capsulized glance of the horror in our community. Uh, but it's a contagious epidemic of slaughter and terror nationwide, uh, holding our kids, our seniors, and our enjoyment hostage. I sat most of the morning today and watched the funeral service of Officer Arena Preston, who was shot and killed while in uniform in front of her home. She was walking into her home after work in uniform. Four have been arrested, all teenagers. And so what will it take to end the insanity and the insensitivity? There are no quick solutions. We do our best at various levels, home where it starts, the community where we live, schools where our children are educated and given exposure to the greater world of opportunities and experiences. We do our best or should be at the church where we have uh, them for a few hours weekly, but we have the promise of the Holy Spirit that can impact them. I'll talk more about that uh, when I get to the last component, fixes at the church. Ours is not the first society going wild, yet we would be hard-pressed to find one where the kids are killing off each other, where weapons are so accessible and where the laws are so lax and lenient, made in the USA, can rightfully be the stamp on this type of uh, gross, ongoing, accelerating violence being perpetrated by a generation that has not reached the legal age of voting. The age of the average carjacker is about 11 to 14. They don't even have a driving permit, let alone a license. Only in the USA do you see such slaughter being perpetrated by babies. So what can we do? Here's my second proposal. We can keep teaching and keep preaching about the fear of God. We, we who accept the word of God as our compass, our discipline, our guide, our direction, our manual, our book of belief, boundaries, balance, and blessings, the decree for daily living. We believers, we Christian homes, we Christian parents, we the Christian church 
we have to embrace, express, and extend what the Bible says. If a young shooter, carjacker, carjacker, thug, wayward child is to have a transformation of heart and habit, it has to be grounded in a fear of God. Don't you wish you could just grab him and shake it in him? Don't you wish you could almost just beat it in him? Don't you wish you could reach up and, and get a tablet and just give him a dose of it? It's not that easy. In Matthew ten twenty eight, Jesus says, do not be afraid of those who will uh, kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus was not satisfied with just saying, if you get caught, we'll get locked up, and throw away the key. The fear of God is not the fear of consequences. That's a quick fix, and it's short-lived. A quick fix is a band-aid, bandage over an open, profusely bleeding wound. It will get them scared of being locked up seeing their future taken away. But the fear of God is not a matter of being frightened of him. Uh, fright is not what God desires. Obedience and compliance is. Remember growing up, fright was the reason we complied and restrained. When we were babies, our parents would look at us and say, don't even think about it. The fear of God in one's life is the power that declares, I don't even think about it. Yet, fright did not assure a respectful citizen with godly character a fright just temporarily kept us from beatdowns until we could break camp or make a slicker and more cunning move. Uh, so not being caught was our new goal. The truth of the matter is you can be afraid of the consequences of committing an act and the idea of doing it. Uh, and never leaves your spirit. You can be afraid of the consequences of committing an act. And the idea of doing it never leaves your spirit. A good behaving generation is not the same as a godly believing generation. Our goal has to be to get them to Fear God for themselves, not simply 
to be afraid of what will happen if they get arrested and have their liberties stripped from them. That's that's not a desired solution. To lock up a whole generation who's already drowning in sin. Incarceration is not what Jesus has in mind. What he has in mind is a restraining and regulating reverence that operates on the inside. Long before the downward path beckons their participation. That's right. The fear of God is a regulating and restraining reverence. It's an eternal awareness that commands an external compliance. Fearing God is standing in wonder of the greatness and glory of him. Fear of God. In Exodus 3 and 5, Moses is commanded to restrain his approach because he is in the presence of the holy God. The voice spoke out of that burning bush and said, don't come any closer, Mo." The same is intimated in Joshua 5 and 15. In both of those scriptures, both persons are told to take off their sandals for the place where they stand is holy, is sacred, is special, is set aside by God's presence for his purpose. Think about this. Sandals didn't have any elevation. Sandals then as now are just flat bottom flip-flops. But even in flats, Moses and Joshua were standing too tall in the presence of God. Hallelujah. So the fear of God is first of all reverential, awe, A-W-E, restraint, compliance, control, regulations. The idea that God establishes the agenda, the authority, the access, because he is God. The God who creates the universe, who oversees and monitors its operations and commands submission of everything in it, plants, animals, sea creatures, the heavens, and humans. So Proverbs 1 and 7 says, the fear of the Lord, the reverential awe, the reverential restraint, the reverential respect of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge. 
one cannot even get a handle on he on who he is or who she is, what life is, what life unfolds, the places and the pleasures in life until that person gets first the fear of the Lord. They don't even have to start thinking about salvation, eternal life, the Christian experience, the benefits of serving Lord Jesus. These matters will follow. But reverencing God as creator and maker and sustainer has to be the starting point. You cannot love a God you don't know. And you cannot know a God you do not accept as real. How do we come to fear God? How do we get of God in these little rascals' heads? How do they come to know God? By hearing about him. How much is the Lord, the Lord's ways, the Lord's will in our conversations around our children, around our grandchildren? One of the deacon's grandchildren went home to her mother and told her mother, all grandma talks about is, Glory, glory, glory. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. She prays all the time. End of quote. That's the way you introduce a child to the fear of God. That's how you get fear in their heads. You talk about it around them. So I ask us, what's coming out of our mouths? Teaching and learning. Malachi 3.16, then those who fear the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. What's being transmitted in a structured, systematic way from our homes? Deuteronomy 6 and 7, impress them on your children, talk about them when they sit down, when they walk, when they lie down, when they get up, tie them as symbols on their hands and bind them on their foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In modern application, give your children exposure, repetition. And teaching makes a child familiar so they can carry this fear of God with them. It is fear for both restraint, regulation, and it's even fear for removal because it will remove some thoughts from their heads. The fear of God is a mental regard. How do you treat God in your thoughts? The fear of God impacts relationships. 
The fear of God is regard. Do you see worth in people? Do you value other people? The fear of God is response. How do you treat other people? Again, we can't put the fear of God in a person. If we could, there would be an instantaneous about face to this violence and disregard. Isaiah 50 and 10 says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. It's dark out there. It'll get darker until those of us who fear the Lord and obey his teachers and preachers let our light shine. So every chance you get, say to a child something like this. There's a God who's in charge of this world and your life. He will not force himself upon you. I wish I could uh, lay hands on every child in town and say, fear God in Jesus' name, and it would be so. I know you wish you could anoint oil on every child and teen you see and speak. I command the fear of God be in your life. Unfortunately, that's not the way. But telling them and training them and teaching them is. They will never know it if we don't show them and speak it to them. Your personal experience with God equips you with what is required to begin to turn this tide of terror. I just thought about it. We really don't want to force God's hand. He could show us what rejection and defaming his holiness looks like. Plague, pestilence, famine, diseases are just a few of the judgment moves that an, angry, that an angry God can unleash. I pray, God, we will never get there. I rushed and got through with this entire lesson, getting God in their heads. The fear of God is one way to clear the streets. This is the word of faith which I teach. Amen, amen, amen.